The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, listeners. Hey, new listeners. Uh, some of you might be popping over after listening to us. Uh, hey, guys. Welcome. For the first time on Ben Greenfield's show, and uh, you heard us talk about things like trigger sessions and how to, tr- you know, how to work on frequency to stimulate muscle growth and how we have some programs that are probably pretty counter to what you may have read in muscle building magazines and what the common, you know, quote unquote, common knowledge is on building muscle. If you want to check out some of our programs um, and how we incorporate some of those techniques and and more, go to mindpumpmedia.com. That's where you'll find all of our MAPS programs. If you're wondering where to start, we consider MAPS Anabolic to be the foundational program where most people should get started. So again- Check them out, mindpumpmedia.com. Do yourself a favor. If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Hey, listen, you're about to hear us talk about, or, or interview, I should say, uh, the great Ben Greenfield. This guy's a leader in the fitness industry. We went to his house in Spokane, Washington. Yeah, uh, the guy it's like a compound, but uh, had a bunch of interesting things that he had all set up. There. Well, he's probably one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. He's definitely in a very good way. He's a weird guy. He's, yeah. he's, he's a little eccentric. He pays attention to the very minute, detailed things. Dude, he's a real uh, what do they call it? Biohacker. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, his house is built around the stuff that he talks about. The way he eats. The way he fed us. Um, you know, he had out on the out, outside his home, right? He had his compound and he had organic vegetables and fruits growing and he had goats and chickens. And I didn't know what to think at first, to be honest, but like seeing him actually like do all these things and the authenticity that was there, like it, it helped me to reassure me that this is the real deal. Dude, the guy is legit. He knows his stuff. Uh, again, very, very smart guy. Also a great person. When you see, you know, the way I judge people a lot of times, if I see them, around their family or around their kids. He's a cool guy, man. Uh, yeah. Great dad. When we hung out the, the second night there, we went to go watch the fights and he was with his boys. Yeah. You could tell it's he's- nice a, to see that. Yeah, you could tell he's a great guy. Um, but anyway, uh, the guy's podcast is amazing. You guys should check him out. Ben Greenfield. Great information. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely if you'd like to- uh, you know, expand your mind and your knowledge behind Dive beyond into a little more of the nerdy stuff. Oh, right? yeah, I mean, obviously, that's he, why he really gets into it. It's that, cool. That's why I love it. His podcast is called Ben Greenfield Fitness. You can find his website, bengreenfieldfitness.com. He's a New York Times bestseller. Beyond Training is one of his books that he wrote. He's got other books as well. But anyway, without further ado, here is Mind Pump interviewing the great Ben Greenfield, the one and only Ben. My sphincter is positioned properly. <clears throat> We're Perfect. starting with that. Ready? Yeah. That's how yes. we like to do every show. Yes. Yeah. Sphincter yeah. is set. So when I got to <laughs> well, say well sphincter supported. check. So hey, I got, everybody. I got a question to ask you, Ben. So we drove up last night, right? Uh, we drive up and it's dark and you've mm. got us bailing hay. 
uh, out the back of your truck. Mm-hmm. Was that done on purpose to test our manliness or was that an accident? You guys were late for dinner and I had hay to bail. Okay. So I went out there and started working. <laughs> I'm like, this dude's, then, try, this dude's yeah. trying to show us what time it is. Yeah. So yeah. I do. I, I did break a nail, by the way, doing Farm that. Farm life. Yeah. yeah. So good times. You broke a nail. Yeah. You guys, you guys showed up in the nick of time, though. I think we had we had four hay bales left. and It was perfect. Mm-hmm. Just four, enough four for, for each of us to do it. Interesting right. how you, convenient. You made, you yeah. made the goats very happy. So okay. I, I want to describe uh, how you look to a lot of our listeners who may not be familiar. A lot of our listeners know who you are, but um, you, you're uh, very lean, muscular. You've got kind of a, a wiry build, um, but you can tell that you've got that real strength. Uh, That's that, how he flirts with our guests. Outside. No, I mean, this is legit. Listen, what did I tell you guys when we left uh, yeah, last night? I said the, that. His, his glutes looked great when he got up. <laughs> That's what I said. To get us. That's Wait till we see him walk away. <laughs> what, kind, what kind of training Could does that? Tell? Is he married? Was he wearing a ring? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what kind of training does that, Ben? What does your training look like? Give us uh, a, a so, easy. So it, I, don't, I don't even know the name for it, right? Like a, a hybrid or, or whatever. But if you glance outside my window, um, most of my go-to workouts take place out there. Uh, so, because uh, I saw a lot of climbing apparatus. Yeah, and- yeah. So we've got the hay bales, of course, and there, there's some manual labor involved. There's a big pile of sandbags at the bottom of the driveway. Mm-hmm. And a lot of sandbag carries up and down the driveway. Uh, you probably saw a few tires and some maces out in the driveway. So mm-hmm. a lot of tire flips and uh, and mace slams. Uh, there's a 30 foot rig out there. So there's a lot of hanging work done. Both me and my kids do a lot of like chimpanzee style swinging. From oh, that's cool. You've got them doing it too. Nice. Oh yeah. If it, well, what you saw out there was it like, like it's, it's a 30 foot rig that I ordered a bunch of holds from, from uh, three balls climbing, which is basically like a, like a rock climbing website that you can order, not just uh, ropes that you can hang from, but you know, like the little, little balls and nunchucks. Very American Ninja esque. Train the hands. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but like Ninja esque with, with running in between. And so there's, there's a, there's a log weave out there. Did you see the log mm-hmm. weave? It's like this giant pyramid that goes up into the sky. And what you do, the idea on a log weave is you go over one log and then under the next under. log, over one, under. If you try and just, let, let's say you just want to do one workout, you go out on that log weave and you need to wear uh, long sleeves, right? Like Because you're, you're hugging the logs yeah, as you're, you're going you're over. the logs and I've, I've literally torn open all the skin on my armpits and on the inside of my legs the first mm. few times I did it because I didn't realize I had to go out there with, with you know, basically like compression tights and a long sleeve shirt on. But you just log weave for like 20 minutes. And that, that's one of the most amazing full body workouts you've ever done. It's like, it's like, it's like it. rolling kind of in, in jits because you're just basically gripping and then rolling under and then maneuvering your body over and then rolling and holding on under. And, uh, so, so there's that I've got the, uh, the long barbed wire crawl out there. Uh, so this is where you're literally some, uh, crawling on their stomach type yep, deal. So, it? but, but in a planking position, usually okay. like, like rather than just like crawling in a bear crawl position, crawling in a planking position. Um, at the next to the barbed wire crawl, there's a bunch of cinder blocks, just like, um, literally bought it from Home Depot and attached chains to those. So you can mm-hmm. grab one, two, three, four cinder blocks, as many as you want to drag. And I like this because it's all concentric. So you don't get very sore afterwards, mm-hmm. but you're, I, I have a hill out there that the chains uh, are and the cinder blocks are on and you just drag the cinder blocks up the hill. And then what I do to get the grip going is I'll, I'll grab the chains and then just farmer walk, carry the cinder blocks back down the hill. And then I've got a uh, three uh, 30 foot vertical ropes from the trees that just that just do vertical. rope. I saw up. those. And then a horizontal rope, which is like upside down style. It, it's just like a rope, except you're you're climbing horizontally rather than vertically. 
Um, those are those are some of the main things. And so I've you got. warm up with that. Sounds kind of like stuff. you're ready for the zombie <laughs> so, apocalypse no. to me. Yeah. So so I'll do that one to two times a week, and you, and you just run in between each one. And now now I'm setting up uh, uh, 3D animal targets like turkeys, bears, you know, chipmunks, whatever else I want to I want to shoot at. Nothing endangered or cute. No, <laughs> mm-hmm. no Casper the lion. No sea manatees. Um, you just but, did a competition. But I'll, but I'll carry the bow in between each and then stop and shoot after I've done each obstacle. And then I've also got spear throws out there. So the garage has a whole bucket full of spears and there's a bunch of hay bales <laughs> and you could throw uh, spears at the hay bale. So it kind of turns into like a first person style shooter game, which, yeah. which is a ton Sounds of Sounds like a video game. Almost. So, yeah. so you now is this, was this to train? Cause you just finished a competition. Adam just mentioned uh, you did a hunting competition. Mm. It sounds like a endurance slash, you know, it's, it's like accuracy course racing with weapons. Yeah. What's it called? What's it it's, called? It's called train to hunt. And the way that it works is you show up and on, uh, on the night of on the night when you first show up, it's just all wayfinding and GPS. So they give you a bunch of coordinates and you just have to find your way through the wilderness with your, because they want to make sure that you can actually hold your own when wow. it comes to finding your way through unknown territory, because that's what a hunter has to do. And you can use whatever you want. You can, you can use a, a GPS, you can use old, old school style, like, you know, topographical map and compass or, or whatever. And then, uh, once you finish that, whether you finish at midnight or 2am or whatever, you just have to turn in your, your little sheet with the, with the proper coordinates and where they were oh, by 6am wow. the next day. But at 7am they start the 3d shoot, which is where you've got, um, 20 different stations and you go from station to station. It's, it's kind of like golfing, except a lot more fun and mm-hmm. practical, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but you're just, you're, you're shooting. So there's not a lot of, of it, it's very low level physical cardio, right? Mostly you're walking and then you're stopping and you're not just shooting, but you're shooting in hunting style scenarios. So it might be, okay, you have to sprint up this steep slope, uh, when the clock starts. And from the time that you start, you have to get up to the top of the slope in 30 seconds, identify the target, decide the actual range that the target is in, and then shoot it. And if you hit it in the vitals, then you are, are given X number of points. If you do a body shot, then you're given, uh, you're, you actually lose points if you do a body shot, because technically that's a wounded animal. Mm-hmm. And if you miss, it's also a, a penalty. And then uh, later on that day, once all the, the smoke is cleared and you kind of know the score from the 3D shoot, you do what's called the meat pack, where you'll have about 100 pounds, which is actually, a, it's, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot of weight to have 100 pounds in a backpack. Of course. And it'll be a two to four mile, like undulating rolling course for time, right? So as fast as you can get your weight from point A to point B. And, and that's just a timed course that takes anywhere from... Usually it's about 15 to 30 minutes and you're redlined the whole time. Like normally if you were to pack an elk out of the mountains uh, over four miles, you might take literally like two to three hours to do that. And this you're trying to do it in, in like, you know, under an hour. Just, you're getting away from the bears. Just boogie. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, uh, the next day you show up and they have a whole obstacle course set up, right? Like sandbags and, uh, you know, crawls and um, like uh, uh, what what else do they have? Like a lot of things you'll see in CrossFit sometimes, like like uh, box jumps and get ups. And, and it's all with sandbags. But in between each is shooting. So your heart rate's jacked. You got to get it down, you know, activate the parasympathetic nervous system, take a shot and then move on. And basically at the end of all the competitions, once everything is done, the person with the highest score from all those cumulative competitions is, is crowned the winner. Excellent. And you got second place. Uh, no, at, at that one, yeah. at, at nationals, I was fifth. What? I, I won, uh, I won Utah, I won Idaho and I won, 
uh, Montana took second place in Wyoming and they got got fifth at nationals. Wow, excellent. Wow, that's Where are the areas that you you need to improve on, or what are the areas that you felt like the shooting? It, it was the shooting. shooting. I'm, Just I'm, the accuracy. I'm I'm pretty fit, and for for my body weight, strong enough to throw the you know throw the weight around, pack the meat. But uh, I've been I've been bow hunting for about a year and a half, and I just yeah, you know, it's just you know it's the ten thousand hours, right? Right. So yeah, some you're yeah. probably competing against someone who's been doing it since he was ten, right? Well, uh, I would assume uh, because of all the activity, it's probably more than just learning how to aim. It's learning how to calm down, right? Like calm everything down so you could shoot and that with accuracy. Yeah, that, and that, and that's why I like it. It's for, you know from a sporting standpoint, it's very ancestral, right? You have your low level cardio, mm-hmm. right? Where you where you're kind of like you know stalking yeah, something, stalking the three D shoot. You're out there for four or five hours, but it's not low level cardio like Ironman triathlon is low level cardio. It's not chronic repetitive motion at like a you know a glycogen depleting heart rate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is relatively stressful for 10 hours it's like i'm literally just walking around in the woods for five hours mm-hmm. and then they have the meat pack which is relatively glycolytic but still a little bit more muscular endurance based and then they have the the obstacle course which is all just like either phosphogenic or glycolytic or, or extremely explosive and then of course they have like the mental component right like the the wayfinding and the map finding and i like it because it incorporates a lot of those concepts that um, that would be considered almost like the, uh, like the, like the Mark Sisson esque, right? Like move, lift, sprint. Mm-hmm. And it's done in a very practical way because it's all designed ultimately when you step back and look at it to be able to enable people to better put meat on the table. Excellent. How was your diet for this kind of, cause this is a three day long competition. And from what I gather, you typically eat a pretty low carbohydrate diet. Do you change that when you're doing competitions like this? No, I mean, I'll, I'll bear in mind if I know I've got something extremely glycolytically demanding, and I need to go to battle the next day. I'll make sure that that I'm not going in um, fully, let's say, like ketogenic mm-hmm. that week just because I think that, you know, even if you look at some of the research that's been done on. Mm-hmm. Uh, ketogenic diets being appropriate for explosive sports. In many cases, we're only looking at like 30 seconds to two minute efforts, right. mm. which, which, you know, you can usually satisfy some of that from, from creatine phosphogen and ATP stores. And then you can satisfy some of it from mobilizing the little bit of liver or muscle glycogen that you are going to have on board if you're, if you're fully ketogenic, but to be able to move a hundred pounds over the course of an hour as quickly as possible at near maximum heart rate, uh, you you technically need a little bit of, of glycogen <laughs> glycogen on board. So my diet doesn't change that much. I'm still just eating real food, but I do ensure that I'm you know working in a few sweet potatoes and yams and some fruit. And, and I mean honestly, most of those competitions you're out in the middle of nowhere. You're not near a grocery store. So I'm literally just operating with whatever like a like example a uh, big gallon size Ziploc bag that's got almonds macadamia nuts some coconut flakes some cacao nibs and whatever and i throw that into a old paper cup with a plastic spoon and dump some water on top and if i can hunt down a banana great i'll throw that in there too Mm. and and that's like a typical meal just just goop in a cup Uh, among many things that you've been uh labeled as far as you know triathlete bodybuilder you know fitness guy, guru, top trainer, author. I mean, there's so many things that you've done. Model. (laughs) Hand model. I've I've heard you uh, talk about biohacking. Could you explain uh, what that term means and what what does it mean to you and what exactly is it, you know? Oh, well, I mean, like like biohacking is is a pretty catch-all term, right? Because you have guys like, uh, what's his name? I want to say it's Kevin... 
not not Wilkie. Wilkie. There, 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 there's anyways. There's this guy, and, and he has literally like implanted chips in his body that allow him to um, interact with like, like the door in his house. Kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, yeah, transhumanist, and and even interact with his wife to be able to potentially be able to read each other's minds. So there's other guys who have implanted well, magnetic chips in their fingers to yeah. be able to interact with magnetic devices such as uh, screens, for example. Uh, there are guys who are doing, uh, you know, new school echolocation, meaning that if you look at like like Batman, as I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy, he's in London and he's a blind guy. And oh, he's, he's the guy that clicks out, with his tongue. He's and- figured out how to echolocate by using clicks and mm-hmm. whistles and he can like ride his freaking bike through the city and be able to navigate just using echolocation. Really but cool. then there are also guys who are putting amplifiers, batteries, and equipment embedded in their ears to be able to allow them to echolocate using like these advanced hardware-based biohacking hmm. methods with the concept that the things that you place on your body are the hardware, and the term that they give for the human body is called the wetware, right? So so you're just like this, this pile of sack and goo <clears> that you attach <throat> electrodes and whatever else to to allow you to interact with your environment That's in like more self. meaningful ways. So, I mean, <laughs> you, you could find the guy, like, for example, who got night vision implanted in his eyes and his, his pupils are just like one big black pupil, but he can see at night now because he has changed the rods and cones to allow for them to receive as much light as possible, including the lower amounts of light that you can see Holy shit. at night. And in my opinion, that's that's pure hacking of the human biological system, right? And then you could delve into the category of biohacking. That's a little bit more of the pop culture definition right, like of biohacking, biofeedback which is and whatever, like tricks blending stuff, yeah. butter with your coffee. I'm a biohacker <laughs> now. Or, <laughs> okay. um, well, I mean, even some of this stuff, you know, that, that's hanging around my office right now. I'm not using myself as wetware as much as I'm, I'm attaching hardware temporarily to my body, like behind me is um you know for example uh, two things i've got i've got like my eeg training equipment here which is just basic neurofeedback right so i can i can attach these electrodes to specific locations on my scalp and on my ears and then i can pull open a computer program that allows me to fly a spaceship and if my brain goes too much into fast stressful beta brain waves or i lose focus or i have increased distractibility while I'm flying that spaceship or even while it's kind of cool, I can I can drag like a, a Hulu back screen over the neurofeedback software and I can watch MasterChef. Right. And every every time that my brain goes out of alpha brainwave zone or every time that my beta to alpha brainwave activity becomes unfavorable in terms of my ability to to focus, what happens is is MasterChef starts to fade and like Gordon Ramsay's voice starts to go away. Mm. And that's and and then the software sends a message to my brain because it's a it's a two-way feedback and it says, okay, you need to do something right now because you're not able to watch MasterChef anymore if you stay in this brainwave state. And then the brain subconsciously, without me doing anything, you know, I can be checking email on my phone at the same time that I'm doing this, but my brain will get pulled back into subconsciously that that alpha brainwave zone. So that that that's an example of what I would consider to be. I mean, technically I'm hacking I'm hacking my biology, right? Yeah. Because normally if I were to want to do that, I could meditate for one or two hours for several months but in no a row. No way to or, measure or right. you know. but it's really weird. Um I'm actually reading a book about this called The Organized Mind about the glucose uh utilization 
um, requirements of the brain and the nutrient requirements of the brain and how doing something like multitasking or excessive task switch- switching and things like that can can drain brain resources mm-hmm. pretty effectively. But it's really weird. Like after I do just a half hour of that neurofeedback, I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. Like you're like it's amazing how much fuel the brain the, can actually. The brain use. is one of the greatest. I mean, it uses more energy than almost anything else yeah. on, a, on a comparative basis. Right. It's right. like a, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. Right. So doing stuff like that, because um, usually what I'll do is I'll just take Ritalin and then I can focus a lot better <laughs> but if, if, when you do stuff like that have you noticed your ability to improve your ability to focus and get in the zone easier now yeah. without it yeah so so two two comments on that that particular protocol i've only been doing for a month and so i can't say that i've gotten as much feedback as i want to yet from it but going into it i, I worked with an institute called peak brain la and they did a full mind mapping in my brain they used a, a quantified electroencephalogram <laughs> or qeeg to identify areas where there was too much wave activity of one brain type, like like a beta brainwave and not enough alpha brainwave. And apparently, whether you've been concussed or had a TBI or had even, you know, even even things like you know, too much multitasking, which we know now can actually rewire the brain, increase distractibility, decrease the ability to focus, et cetera you get this whole mind map of your brain. So the idea here is three months from now, I'll go back in and see how it's actually changed blood flow from the brain, because let's face it, it's possible that there's a little bit of a placebo effect, right? Like, let's course. say, let's say we don't attach the electrodes to the brain and we just have you watch a spaceship on a screen for a half hour every day. There's some amount of focus required just, <laughs> just, just to do that. So, um, well, so yeah. my question would be, uh, you, cause you said ideal brainwave patterns or whatever. What's the baseline? Like, how do they know yeah, what's ideal? This what's is yes. better and this is yeah, worse. I, I asked them that question, and the answer is probably what you would expect, having done QEEGs of thousands and thousands of people. And so and they're looking at, oh, these people, people are focused and successful. From, right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Exactly. Massive including people. people who meditate a lot, including like Zen masters and monks. And, and I realized this whole like, you know, uh, you know, like, like uh, you know, uh, the the whole concept of like forty years of Zen, right? Like achieve what a monk would take forty years to do with just a just a few hours of biofeedback. It's not quite that simple. I mean, like there is actually a guy down in L.A. who looks at every single session I do, adjusts the session for the next day, and then changes what I'm supposed to do based off of what my brain is doing that day. I mean, like it gets, it's a little bit more intensive than just staring at a screen and, and achieving the ultimate, you know, Himalayan mountaintop meditation experience. But I can um, completely yeah. see how something like this is the next big well, realm this is, of this physical is quantified training. self, right? Well, I, I would say like yeah. that in, in opposition to like biohacking, it but sounds it's a not, lot more like it's quantified not quanti- self. Well, it's, it's like quantified self, but the difference is that the computer is actually sending electrical feedback to my brain. It's not just my brain sending uh, information to the computer, the computer can quantify so it, right? So the computer is actually working on my brain. So, That's so it trippy. is a little bit different in that sense. It's, and, and, um, you know, another example, I was saying there's, there's stuff back behind me or like, like this back there, you know, my, my little nose dildo. Right, like it's, it's the the, the intranasal. Oh wait, that's therapy. for your nose. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Sorry, it, I used it earlier. Yeah. Is that how they're marketing it? <laughs> so I don't know. It's uh, did it's, it smell funny? It's it's like it's, a, it's like a, a 810 nanometer uh, wavelength of, of LED that's been used clinically in Alzheimer's patients to increase blood flow to the brain and to shut down inflammation in neural tissue. But you stick that thing up your nose for 25 minutes every morning, which I do every morning. It's like a cup of coffee for your brain. Hmm. I mean, it's very similar to you guys have probably heard of like. Now, blue. can you feel it? Do you? Do you? You um, can feel it. 
Yes. Oh, wow. You can feel it. And that's what I like. Like when I take fish oil, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it's improving my omega-3 to omega-6 status and assisting with, with you know, my, my joint health, et cetera, you know, and, and cell membrane integrity. But I don't freaking like just feel it when I take fish oil. Yeah. Whereas some of these other things, I mean, you can feel right away, like being really hungry and feeling more focused after you do the EEG training or feeling mm-hmm. literally a more clear head and more clear thought patterns after you shine a laser up into your, your nose. So do you, th- you think that this is like the next wave for, let's say, high performance athletes, like really like honing in on this skill as far as staying in that alpha wave uh, and really finding that 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 focus and that clarity oh yeah sure it's, it's not headspace but there's there's another company that's that's just emerging I, I, for, I, w- I was emailing them a few weeks ago to to find out a little bit more about their device but it's a device that you can place on your head prior to performance to actually increase alpha brainwave activity. Um, but it, it works differently than like the muse or like the, the headspace meditation app or something like that. I, I forget, uh, what it's, it's neuro something, but yeah, these type of devices that athletes can place on their heads to decrease distractibility and mm-hmm. increase production of alpha brainwaves prior to competition. Um, yeah, I certainly think we're going to see more of that. We saw the, uh, golden state warriors using a lot of TDCS mm-hmm. this year prior to competition. They were, they were doing transcranial, uh, magnetic stimulation of the brain, which I actually have, uh, I, I have reservations about the health effects of that. That's about to say, I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, it's, te- that. it's technically like an RF frequency, meaning that it's, it's very similar to the, type, you can buy them online. the type of power that you'd get. Yeah. You can buy them online. There's instructions online for making them radio lab had a really interesting podcast where they talked about how snipers are using them to increase their ability to be able to to enter the zone and and focus and be able to to kill more effectively using something like TDCS uh, but it, it is a pretty strong magnetic stimulation of the brain. These are actual magnets that you're using on your brain to change uh, alpha brainwave activity. Those those EEGs I was just pointing out to you earlier, that's a very, very weak stimulation. Or, for example, when I was sleeping last night, so hyped up after you guys left, after we, we had dinner. So excited, chicken, <laughs> having chicken with the mind pump guys. It was a crazy, crazy, that effect so crazy party. But what I did was I put a pulsed electromagnetic field therapy on my brachial plexus. Uh, so what that means is that your your brachial plexus will feed up into your brain, and depending on what type of signal you place on the plexus, it will actually affect the type of brainwaves you produce. So in this case, this thing is wired to produce the same brainwaves that are associated with delta wave activity, right? So so it lulls you more quickly. It decreases sleep latency, the amount of time that it takes for you to fall asleep, and causes you to get into your deep sleep, your delta brainwave production more quickly. But it's an extremely weak signal. It's it's approximately the signal. So like you guys, have you guys heard like grounding or earthing mm-hmm, before? Mm-hmm. Like walking barefoot on the ground? Yeah, because I haven't seen you in shoes at all this entire time. Yeah, I, I don't wear and And a lot of my shoes, I have carbon plugs in them to, uh, to allow me to get the negative ion and that mm. grounding effect from the earth a little bit more easily. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that the earth emits a, a, a very therapeutic magnetic frequency that's good for the human body. And it also produces a lot of negative ions, which if you look at the electrochemical gradient on your cell membrane, it operates ideally at about negative 70 millivolts. And if you're constantly exposed to Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and appliances, et cetera, those are producing a lot of positive ions, which have the opposite effect and can inhibit some of your cellular metabolism. So the idea is that when you're when you're doing grounding and earthing, and there's a very, very interesting documentary about this, it's like 
grounding. I think the name of the movie is, is grounding. I see. I'm actually pretty right. familiar with this and there's yeah. some studies that they've done on this. The part that I question on the studies are, are they able to separate the kinesthetic, uh, you know, tactile effects of walking barefoot versus walking barefoot on grass or on earth, which is what grounding mm-hmm. recommends. Because if you take people who, most people who wear shoes all the time, since they were able to walk, who have very weak, feet, underdeveloped feet, very, you know, poor sensation on the bottom of their feet, or at least their brain isn't used to it. And you have them walk around barefoot all the time. You, you should get some increased proprioceptive adaptation. You should get strength, right? The totally neural adaptation, yeah, which is going, going to affect neural activity. Yeah. Exactly. So have they been able to separate, you know, the concept of grounding to just being barefoot? Yeah. I have no clue. And, okay. and um, they, they go into some of the health changes that happen in people in that documentary. But what I do know is is when I do this, this pulsed electromagnetic field frequency mm-hmm. and I track deep sleep. So every night I track the amount, the percentage of time that I spend in deep sleep. I use a ring to do that. Mm. And it brings my deep sleep up to about 15 to 20 percent. Whereas when I'm not using it, I'm at about five to 10 percent. Mm. So for so for me as an N equals one, it definitely affects the amount of time that I spend in deep sleep. Interesting. Which yeah, is, so which is, which actually has its implication, right? Cause you dream less, right? Like if, if you're in deep sleep, you technically aren't engaged in as much REM sleep. And so you, you know, if your goal is to whatever, I don't know, have lucid dreaming or something like mm-hmm. that, it, it might not be the way to go for you. So, you know what else does or, that? Or memory consolidation. Cannabis, right? Marijuana reduces the amount of uh, dreaming that you do and puts you in that mm-hmm. deeper sleep. Yep. Is that a good or bad thing? It's interesting. It's, 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 yeah. it's it, kind it of a question. Depend. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think it kind of depends. And, a lot of times when I look at a lot of these advanced um, or what I, you know, what some people may say fringe, um, you know, things you could do to improve performance. I always like to look back and say, how does that apply? Like what, for example, why would shining a laser inside your nose uh, elicit favorable responses? And how does that, how did we evolve to, you know, read that signal? Because the inside of the human nose never gets light. You know what I mean? Unless you're hanging upside down and you've got really big nose. Uh, you know, so why or how, like what's picking that up and how is that working? Are you familiar with, uh, do you know any of, you know? Well, I mean, even the inside of your ear has photoreceptors. There's there's another device called the, called the human charger out there that folks will use for jet lag. And it's actually bright amounts of light shown into the human ear. They look like earbuds Mm. and it's like a blue light blocks for your ears that you would use to shift your circadian rhythm forward. Interesting. If you've been traveling, say back East or shift it backwards. If you, if you traveled from, from West to East. And yeah, it, it's it's unlikely that in an ancestral setting that I mean, I can't think of a situation in which our ancestors would have been like laying with their ears pointed towards the sun kind of or like with their, you know, <laughs> holding their nostrils up open so more sunshine could get inside. <laughs> honey, and, and, honey, come listen to the fire real yeah, quick. And I think that returns to what we talked about with with biohacking. Right. I mean, neither would our ancestors have necessarily used encapsulation technology to take a supplement simply because the only technology technology that they had available was perhaps uh, mortar and pestle or the ability to do like an alcohol or water extraction right. or an oil extraction of a supplement. And because technology has advanced to the point where we're now able to encapsulate mm-hmm. said compound, like let's say, you know, whatever, St. John's wort, you or know, whatever. Which, which is growing outside right now where we're at, we could go out and all of us could pinch a little bit of that St. John's wort, bud, and we get some of the oil on our fingers. And, you know, my kids call it the happy flower. And technically when, when you taste that, it, it does have an effect on serotonin and dopamine levels and can assist with depression. It's why it's, it's one of the things that they'll, 
that they'll recommend. It's one of the few herbs with clinical studies proving. Right, right, exactly. And our ancestors probably would have taken the flower and maybe done some mortar and pestle. And Mm -hmm. I don't profess to be an expert in how our ancestors used St. John's wort. But the idea, in in my opinion, my response to your question Mm -hmm. is that even if we can't necessarily find an ancestral example of it, it doesn't mean that we haven't figured out better ways of living through science that allow us to to achieve those adaptation, why we would have photoreceptors. That's in our the ears question. Yeah. It's interesting. And why we would have, you know, the, the, well, technically it's Just not radiance. a photoreceptor in your nose. It's actually interacting with the cytochrome oxidase, I believe is the actual name okay. of, of the, the structure in the mitochondria in, in your neural tissue that the, that the laser light is interacting with. Why we're able to access that through the nose. I don't know. Mm. Uh, you know, maybe the membranes, may, maybe, maybe same reason through, why cocaine goes through the nose. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, Your why that exists, are on point. you know, wh- whether it is, uh, intelligent design predicting at some point, we would figure out a way to activate that via a nasal dildo or, <laughs> or whether it's just that, that maybe we do, you know, maybe UVA and UVB and even like, you know, we talked about infrared sauna on, mm-hmm. on my podcast and we know that we get some near and far infrared from the sun. Maybe some of that is making its way through the very thin septums and, and small nasal bones. And we're actually getting some of that when we're outside and we're just getting more of it when we just stick it straight up our nose. Hmm. Right. Very interesting. Of all these, these, you know, techniques that you're using of all this, this, you know, quote unquote hacking, what would be the one thing you you could say it would have had the biggest impact for you personally, where you said, wow, this is something that I am going to probably do on a regular basis all the time. <clears throat> Gut response is is cold, mm. um, and and for a long time I was pretty uncomfortable with the cold. And and what I tell people now is you can use the cold as almost like a litmus test of the resilience of your nervous system. What I mean Ooh, by that, that is uh, that is an yeah, excellent a statement, and it's very yeah, true. Yeah. I, I can yeah. I can. Yeah, because I mean, even if you look at, at the fiercest of athletes, and I've had this happen to me in competitions before, they'll drop out of a competition as soon as the the cold water immersion component comes in, or mm-hmm. you got to you know swim across a cold lake or go under the water, and they're breathing and breathing and freaking out because the face doesn't want to go under the water because their mammalian dive reflex hasn't been trained. Their vagus nerve is actually not toned enough to the extent to where they can even handle. Uh, avoiding that sharp intake of breath that you that you tend to have as a gut response when cold water hits your face or when you jump into a cold bath or a cold shower and the strength of the parasympathetic nervous system is one of the prime factors in terms of your ability to be able to handle stress your ability to be able to not go into fight and flight mode quite as readily in response to stress, training your vagus nerve and especially training it through the cold and being able to, and this is something I've done with my kids since they were two, being able to approach a body of cold water, take a deep breath, center, stabilize the nervous system, and then either, you know, turn on that cold water handle or jump into the cold lake or, you know, even walk outside into the snow and just have that kind of like, I don't give a fuck type of attitude Mm -hmm is in my opinion a great test of the nervous system's resilience and it's also a great way to train the nervous system and so the fact that i rarely if ever touch the hot water tap on any shower ever and i always take a cold shower i think is is one of my biggest advantages because i I it'll it'll make you tougher is actually like there's something to that it makes you tougher and it increases your heart rate variability because i test my heart rate variability every day and there are certain things that cause it to become consistently high. And, and I post my score online. And a lot of times people say, why is your parasympathetic nervous system activation score so high? 
And I think it's, you know, I do gratitude journal and I do deep breathing and, you know, I I try to maintain good relationships and love in my life and all the things that we know help out with vagal nerve tone and the parasympathetic nervous system, but uh, cold and, and the ability to be able to constantly activate that mammalian dive reflex and stay resilient to cold. It, if I could choose one thing, it'd be cold showers and cold water immersion. Well, well two things. Uh, first of all, if you're very fatigued, you will notice that you're cold. Typically, mm-hmm. uh, heavy fatigue, you'll, you're, you're going to find yourself either less resilient to cold or in a room that may be not that cold, you find yeah. yourself cold. Yeah. Number two, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about adrenal fatigue in past episodes. And uh, one of the symptoms of adrenal fatigue or even metabolic damage is feeling cold all the mm-hmm. time. And yeah. so that, that is an excellent point. And I, I never connected yeah. the dots there, uh, but it makes perfect sense. Myself, I have personally been incorporating um, very, very like freezing cold showers every single morning. I barely ever use hot anymore. And it's now been about, I don't know, since we've been going to the club over there in Silver Creek, it's about a month or two. And um, I feel invigorated. I feel energetic. And I find that my tolerance now for the cold water is dramatically better. Like I used to hate cold water and I can turn it on and a couple, you know, short breaths and I'm, it's okay. It well, I would, I would, I would, you should, you should jump in the cold pool outside before you leave. You know, I totally won't, but <laughs> thanks for the Actually, there's, there's a faucet right next to make it in the van. There's a faucet right next to that, to, to my cold pool. And I, and what I do is I go jump in the cold pool and then I, I rinse off under that faucet and, you know, just, just because of the skin microbiome and everything, I only use soap like once every three days or so anyway. Oh, okay. So it's, so it's just cold, cold soak and then take mm-hmm. the step in under the faucet, so, air dry. And so we're not going to skip over that. You don't work. use soap. That's interesting. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't Let you soap every? You. Yeah. yeah. No, he doesn't. He's well, not, I mean, he doesn't. Yeah, I, mean, I hugged him earlier. Smells yeah, fine. Yeah. Bacteria in your skin's important. Right? Yeah, exactly. You eat crap. You'll smell like crap. If not, you. I mean, well, it, it depends on the sweat glands that are activated, mm-hmm. right? There's different sweat glands, and and the sweat glands that are activated by uh, nervousness and uh, sex and anything kind of sympathetic nervous system based, those smell. Right. But if it's just like normal, keep you cool type of sweat and mild perspiration, that's not supposed to stink mm-hmm. unless you're 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 that's, feeding that's a lot fascinating. of bad bacteria on mm-hmm. your skin. So the idea, though, is your skin, just like your gut has a microbiome and your cheek has a microbiome and your poop has a microbiome, your skin has a microbiome that interacts with your environment, that assists with the health of your immune system, that even assists with things like wound healing and the ability to be able to, to limit, you know, like acne and eczema and stuff like that. And uh, constantly rinsing the the bacteria off your skin could be detrimental to that. And that's why there's even companies like Aobiome, for example, you know, popping up now that actually sell bacteria that you can spray on your skin. Although, in fact, you could just go roll around in, in your yard. And, <laughs> for and free. So typical. No, they sell it. They wrote like the, the Paleo FX conference, ironically, that, you know, bacteria that you can spray. How on do we your bottle skin. this and sell yeah, it to people? Exactly. But but the idea so is this. that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just do a mild water rinse and then, you know, once every few days or, you know, if, if I've got something on my skin or, you know, let's we're, we're all guys here, right? Like if I, if I've, if I've had sex and I got a bunch of fluids and stuff on me, you know, mm-hmm. situations like that, I'll, I'll shower off. That's the I only wanna, time I don't shower. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, <laughs> unless I want like, to I smell like this. a vagina the rest of the day, <laughs> I'll wash. Mm, um, but, yeah. but yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of soap. And, and of course, you know, when I do use it, I don't use the stuff that's got the phthalates and the parabens in oh, it yeah. and, you know, and the, the antibacterial I, antibiotics, I think things yeah, that yeah. they've killed cute animals testing. I want to, I want to switch gears because I feel like, um, you know, talking about vaginas makes you nervous. No, 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 that's actually 
Yeah, I, I actually I turned to go, on a light bulb. I wanted right to go here. deeper into that topic, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, don't you there. always. Boom. So, uh, no, th- this is why. Because um, if you're not already, make sure you do subscribe to, to Ben's podcast. It's uh, He's brilliant and uh, tons of great information. Great guy. Um, I feel like you can get a lot of what we're talking about on his on his podcast. Uh, you get a lot of what we talked about earlier on our podcast. There's tons of interviews that I've watched of you on YouTube. Um, I want to get into stuff that I haven't came across with you. I haven't uh, I haven't seen a lot. I don't know much about your childhood. I don't know much about uh, what what made Ben get into this. I mean, you you are um, you're very unique as far as somebody who has taken it to this level. I've not met another individual um, and that and I what I like about what you've done is that you really have you've covered all your bases on and, and prioritize the things that are important. So it's not like you're it's not like yeah. we got up to your house and you, we got served with all this processed shit food. But then you're doing some biohack up your nostril because then I would just I wouldn't take you seriously. I'd be like, come on, bro. I don't know, like, dude. We did have chocolate last night. <laughs> it's good chocolate. It was that, good, that was 100 percent raw organic. That was raw like, organic. It was uh, fruition. That's like my new menu. It's like uh, I want to say it's like 15 bucks a bar, but it's like the best stuff on the face. of the Yeah, planet. yeah that like wine raw. was good too was well, raw chocolate. I saw yeah. I was you know I love to look at uh, somebody's library you got a great library and uh, I did notice that you had some psychology books so I'm, I'm interested in your self-awareness and you know do you know what what made you like this or what would you attribute that to if you were to go yeah. back uh, I, I think it's because I was homeschooled K through 12 I and and when I was homeschooled my my parents blessed their hearts probably didn't homeschool me the best way that they could have meaning that they bought books and they shoved them underneath my door and I would read them and then I would take the tests and so I grew up like literally like I that. grew up literally learning how to educate myself and mm. I still to this day uh, I do not have anyone I would consider to be like a hardcore mentor of mine. I'm still a really, really shitty team player. I operate better as a lone wolf, like going out and figuring out things for myself, trial and error. The first deer that I dressed out in the field that I shot was with me and a YouTube video on my camera, right? Rather than like there with my with there with my big hunting mentor, right? So, so I think a big part of it is just my education growing up. I do not educate my kids that way, right? So, so my approach with my kids, you may have noticed, they're not here right now. We're podcasting at my house. We don't fear hear the pitter patter of little steps upstairs. It's because they're at school. But I am uh, I am of the mindset that from an educational standpoint, what you should do is allow your children to learn how to become good team players, good factory workers, outsource the stuff that you aren't good at teaching or that you don't like I don't want to learn how to teach calculus or relearn calculus or, you know, microbiology or anything like that. I'd rather outsource that to a teacher. And then when my kids walk in the door today at 350, that's when, you know, uh, we'll, we'll be taking them to the to the fights tonight. And mm-hmm. that's when I'll be taking them outside and we'll probably do we do a lot of like wild foraging plant walks where we'll go out and find nettle and mint and do animal tracking and stuff like that out on the property. It's when I'll teach them, you know, this room right next to us that they, they, they take pictures of it and they write descriptions and they communicate and they, they rent it out on Airbnb. And that's one of their jobs. And I teach them how mm-hmm. to sell their toys that's on Craigslist. Cool. But the idea is my opinion from an education standpoint is you get a little bit of the best of both worlds, both outsourcing to a group based education format and then a little bit of, of homeschooling slash unschooling on the side. In my case, I was completely homeschooled K through 12. I got lucky because I think I'm hardwired to be a little bit of an independent learner in the first place. But I truly believe that everything that I do now is is very much influenced by the fact that 
I love to go out on these journeys of self-discovery, figure out what works and what doesn't. And I'm a voracious reader. Like I read five to 10 books a week and and always have literally since I was like eight years old. Mm -hmm. So I'm just on this constant quest for knowledge uh, because I love to learn. Like part of it is not because I feel like I have to do that as part of my job because I think there are a lot of people who don't don't you know read that much and don't soak up that much knowledge. But I just dude, I fucking love to learn, and then I love to take what I learn and teach it to people and try it out on my body. I, I, I tell people that a lot of times that the, their greatest strength is usually their greatest weakness too. So do you find like the way you treat bike biohacking and, and figuring out things like nutritionally and sleep and everything we've talked about earlier? Do you treat the same thing with like personal growth? I see you have Tony Robbins in there and stuff like that. Do you mm-hmm. do you do certain exercises like that? Or you challenge you take yourself out of your comfort zone? You said you've already said it that I'd rather be independent. I'd rather do this. So do you put yourself out of those situations because of that, or do you find yep. yourself always going back into your comfort yeah, zone? Yeah, um, I I get myself out of my comfort zone. And I like like tomorrow on on tomorrow's podcast. If you're listening to my podcast tomorrow, it, the entire hour is me being hypnotized. And at the beginning of that hypnosis, it's, it's, it's horrible radio, by the way, it's, it's not, not the best podcast. Yeah, don't listen to that one first. Yeah, start barking my, like a my dog. Skip that one. Yeah. I put on a ballerina dress <laughs> and, and dance and, and, um, no, but the idea is that uh, during that episode or leading into that episode, I was asking what it is I want to change about my life. You know, things, things that I want. And, you know, in that particular case, it was that I tend to be a slave to habit and routine sometimes and freak out when I get thrown out of my routine, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, when I don't hit my, whatever, my, my 10 to 10 30 PM bedtime or, or whatever, you know, I get it, get annoyed. Or, um, you know, another thing I, I mentioned that I wanted to change about myself was that I don't, and again, this returns to the homeschooling thing. I don't do that great of a job making friends. I have lots of acquaintances, but not that many close friends. Cause mm-hmm. I have a hard time letting people get that close to me just cause I like to be independent and I'd rather be off reading a book than, than socializing with somebody. And, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to find things that are, are deficits or weaknesses in my life and improve upon them. I don't necessarily have a system for doing that, but, um, yeah, I mean, when you look out on that bookshelf that, that I have out there, uh, it's, it's a vaudeville, right? It's very, diverse. you guys, you guys know this being in the podcast industry in many cases, three books will show up on my doorstep one day mm-hmm. and, you know, back here are all the ones that I, that I still need to work on and read, you know, things I'm studying to interview people on the podcast, et cetera. So I try and keep those in the office. So if I look at them, it annoys me because I know I still need to go through them in, in, in greater detail. But uh, yeah, I don't even know if that answers your question, dude. But No, no, it does. Yeah. And it, uh, these are the things I feel like nobody asks you. I feel like everybody knows you're this biohacking genius. And to me, I always like to see what makes people tick. Like you're also extremely successful. Um, you don't flaunt it. You're not somebody who rubs it in your face. And so I'd be curious to, you know, I actually have some Benjamins right here. Not at make all your rain. style. You, you have a beautiful home, beautiful property and you're, and you, uh, and you're not flamboyant about it. Um, do you know why you're like that? Um, do you know, uh, what made you like that? Were you uh, different when you first found success or what, you know, can you, can you talk to me a little bit? Was that? it a long you know, road? Yeah, it, it, it does kind of still return to like the homeschooling thing the, the don't give a fuck mentality. Meaning like I real like I drive a you saw my pickup truck, like it's a crappy old beat up pickup truck. I've had it for, for 10 years. Um, never been that infatuated with with the car that I drive or uh, to the chagrin of my wife, the clothes that I wear. You know, you guys are lucky that I actually am not in my boxers right now. And I put a shirt on for for this podcast. Or, or unlucky, unlucky but, man. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've never been um, materialistic. I'm just I'm, I'm not. 
not really into it. I, I mean, like my perspective on life is that your money is best spent on experiences and memories. And I completely and agree with you. Just, you, you know, no, none of the nicest cars on the face of the planet are going to replace that. Yeah. I don't know. Having a Lamborghini might be a nice experience. <laughs> <laughs> so what, how did you start in fitness of all things? Obviously, I mean, you have a passion for learning, but you apply a lot of it towards physical performance and exercise and fitness. Yeah. Well, gr- well, growing up, you know, I was president of the chess club. I played violin for 13 years. I, uh, I wrote a, a fantasy fiction novel by the time I was 12 years old and it was winning magazine contests on writing and, and was pretty much a, you know, quintessential nerd popular you know, with the ladies online world of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah. I, let me tell you, I got laid a lot, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, really, I mean, the simple answer is I got into tennis. Uh, mm. I, I played college tennis. I, I really got bit by the tennis bug in high school and started running up the hills behind my house and went and bought a pair of 10 pound dumbbells from Gart sports. And all of it was based around how can I serve faster? How can I move better on the court? Excellent. How can I figure out the mental game of tennis, the physical game of tennis? And that's what led me into getting interested in everything, everything else. I mean, and you know, we were talking bodybuilding earlier. One of the guys that, that when I was in high school, I started playing tennis with, he was a bodybuilder, right? So I started asking him about, you know, how, how'd you put on muscle? How'd you decrease body fat? How do you do it? You know, and he was a massage therapist too. So we started talking anatomy and deep tissue work and, um, it's, and then, it, you know, it's all just like since then, the past 20 years have just been a blur, right, of just learning. And it's literally been 20 years. You know, I was 13, 14 years old. Now I'm 34. And it's just all been from that point, never leaving the industry ever, right? Like I've just been a voracious student of the human body and brain since I was a young teenager. It's a, it's a diff, you know, it's interesting because there's so many different facets to the in- industry and you seem to, uh, you're on the side of longevity, wellness, advanced information. We come from the more commercial, you know, bodybuilding supplement, you know, type of world, which is very different as well. Um, but in terms of, you know, when it comes to applying your knowledge to fitness, um, you can tell that this is something you have a, a massive passion for. Something we learned that was interesting yesterday, you, uh, you've been podcasting now for nine years. This is, this is, I didn't even know podcasts really existed, uh, up until a couple of years ago. What was it like? Yeah. He called us noobs, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rookies. Yeah. <laughs> big time. Yeah. What was it like podcasting? Yeah, it must be so ago? different now from when you first started. Not really. I just log in with a crappy microphone and pull up <laughs> the iTunes and probably, I mean, honestly, I, like I, I said in jest, but no, not a lot has changed. I still, when you guys see my setup here, I mean, the only thing that's, that's really changed is rather than having a cardboard box lined with dense foam from Joanne's Fabrics, I got a boom mic now. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. Not, dude, not much has changed. I, I probably need to up my game. Uh, my, my podcasting game at some point, but no, not a lot has changed. I still just like, uh, uh, pull, you know, plug in the mic and just a re- content record machine. Mm, content yeah. machine. Um, for sure. but no, I mean, I, I wish I had like a fancy, sexy answer to your question, but not a lot has changed other than there are a lot more podcasts out sure. there. And, uh, the, I used to podcast about basic fitness and basic nutrition and basic strength conditioning concepts. And as I've explored those concepts and, and in my opinion, you know, kicked those horses to death, it's just gotten more woo as I delve into things like, uh, you know, structured water and quantum physics and heart rate variability and heart brain interactions and the 
electrical potential of the human body and all these things that I think kind of fly under the radar, but that are still important. So if anything, I'm just getting weirder. That makes you you cooler in iBook. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure. Um, I hope we get to do this again. I mean, it's, uh, it's beautiful out here. It's a good excuse for us to come visit. Hopefully we can get you down in our studio sometime, but uh, it's been awesome. Make sure you guys check uh, Ben's uh, podcast out, his website, bengreenfieldfitness.com. Check that out. Um, Love you, man. This was great, dude. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming all the way up to Spokompton. It's a weird place. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful up here, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.